and welcome back to the fire. We've got another fun episode for you today as we're continuing with our little series here to a new book of the Bible. We'll tease that now and set it up uh, in a few seconds. Uh, Tom and Peter are here as well. How are you two doing today? <laughs> we are here and I am at least I can I can speak on my behalf that I am I am doing very well. Thanks for asking. I'm a little tired. What's I'm doing well. Uh, well, as I said, we've got something fun going on today, and uh, it's always a new book of the Bible, and also fun continuing a little series. Uh, if you've been listening recently, the last I think four episodes we've been series on the book of Ezra in the Old Testament, and today we are continuing that series. We are finished with the book of Ezra that last time and now we are moving on to the book of Nehemiah which is a very exciting book uh, I read through a few years ago and I enjoyed this one a lot so I'm excited to get through it now and maybe look at it in even a little more depth um, with you two fellas what are, how are you feeling about moving to a new book good <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am excited <laughs> I think we spent we spent a lot of time in Ezra and I'm very happy that we did so don't get me wrong but um I'm 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 excited to to get some some fresh blood hard to say in back in the podcast and maybe I, I, it, we're gonna let the blood from last couple weeks circulate if you know what I mean mm, mm. yeah yeah, <laughs> become sure. travel to the sure. lungs, become oxygenated, whatever mm. all those metaphors stand for. I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, and speaking of, real quickly, speaking of blood and um, the body, so to speak, what is Nehemiah's favorite body part? Fun <laughs> <laughs> to ask a question like this. I think it's gotta be. The knee. <laughs> I would I would have to agree. I think Nehemiah is a big fan of the knee. The the <laughs> joke I just thought of um, saying that was why did Nehemiah not make the trek to Jerusalem with the first couple groups of people going there? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Why, because Jay? He, because he hurt his knee, Amaya. <laughs> um, I like it. We're thinking on. We're thinking along the same lines there, Jay. Yes, yes, we are. Uh, if this is your first time listening. Don't worry. This is, although <laughs> a majority of our episodes, we do come up with some sort of bad pun or joke to start things off. Um, bad, but seeing how. <laughs> fantastic of course bad meaning good um but we especially as we start a new book of the bible there's almost no avoid that kind of thing um but nehemiah overall an excellent book um we're gonna just barely get into it today what what i wanted to do for us as we start off the second half of this series was kind of go over where we are so far um we were and we had a small break before we got an, uh, the final episode of that series out. And then we've been off for another week, another couple weeks here. So uh, just for our listeners who, you know, follow along with an episode and we publish them, I thought it might be kind of nice and also good for us to really get a sense of where we are at coming out of the book of Ezra. Um, we have some, some stuff to go over, kind of leftover from last episode. Um, as we wrapped up that series on Ezra that I think is worthwhile to talk about. And then we're going to preview the book of Nehemiah a little bit, talk about it uh, some and what we can expect. And then we're going to read that first chapter of Nehemiah. So just getting into Nehemiah 1 today, but Nehemiah 1 will be plenty for us to talk about after we do our small review. Hmm. That sounds like a great plan. Sounds good. Yeah. I like well, it. Well, I'm, I'm going to quick buzz over uh, where we were in Ezra, what we talked about, and then I'll leave it to you two to add in anything uh, 
um, especially to maybe some of the themes and takeaways that we had from that book. Um, but start more historical setup of where we at. So uh, the book of Ezra tells the story of the return of uh, the tribe of Judah, well, Judah from the Babylonian exile. Um, they were the ones in exile in Babylon. They were the ones who returned to Jerusalem, um, but still God's people generally, nation of Israel, yes. Um, and all of this was foretold and promised by God and carried out by God. So we saw his faithful provision for his people as they returned. Uh, so days to set it up, Babylonian exile began in 586 BC. The book of Ezra ends around 450 BC. Nehemiah begins around 444 BC. So we're talking about you know, over a century here that we covered in the book of Ezra, which we, we mentioned it some as we read through that book. It's kind of the timeline a little off and it's a little wonky as we read through there. Hopefully we did a good enough job to kind of everyone correctly. Um, but it does cover the span of almost a whole, a little over a whole century um, as people started returning to Jerusalem and then returned again on subsequent trips. So there were kind of a variety. I split a bump into tasks. Task one was returning to Jerusalem initially. And this was, we saw, very almost exclusively by the great faithfulness of God to do this. So once the kingdom of Persia conquered Babylon, that first king of Persia that we are introduced to in the Bible, very directly for the people of Judah to return to Jerusalem. And this was charge was our friend Zerubbabel, who, by the way, in a recent poll that we had on our Instagram, favorite character in the book of Ezra. <laughs> really? <laughs> so Ezra couldn't quite <laughs> get it done. <laughs> Zerubbabel for the win, the underdog. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, once they got back to Jerusalem, the main task we talked about was the rebuilding of the temple and the, re the restoration of worship in Jerusalem. So this was a lot of overcoming opposition to the temple and the rebuilding project. We how the temple in its rebuilt form was not quite restored to its full former glory that we saw when Solomon built it earlier. Uh, and we mentioned maybe some reasons for that. And then uh, the timeline goes along. King Darius reigns in Persia and continued to allow God's people to rebuild the temple. Despite this opposition, he paved the way. He gave them funding, supplies, everything they needed. We went through the little bit of the book of Haggai, who was one of the prophets who prophesied to these people, Zechariah being the other one. He urged them to rebuild the temple and, and worship in truth and in heart and spirit. Um, out of his prophecy was, you know, almost calling them out that some of them lived pretty comfortable lives over in Babylon, um, which they, for a while. So that's kind of to be expected uh, eventually. And maybe some of these people didn't want to go back. He called on a lot of them to go back uh, and restore life and worship in Jerusalem. After Darius, Xerxes and Artaxerxes came to the throne in Persia. Uh, and around this time, Ezra shows up in the book of, of Ezra at the end of the book. <laughs> and uh, despite any continued opposition, Ezra kind of leads the charge in uh, really fully turning these people back to God. Uh, that's kind of where we left off last time. So there was a lot of past sin and ongoing sin uh, among God's people and namely in the form of uh, intermarriage with non-believers and with people outside of the nation of Israel. And Ezra was the one who came in, uh, repented on behalf of the nation and led the charge in the nation's and gaining its forgiveness from God. Um, we leave off the book of Ezra with Artaxerxes as the king. And he will be the king as we enter Nehemiah as well, the king of Persia. Did I miss anything? That was a very good summary, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. Yeah, thank you for doing that. Um, I I think you hit all the the big stuff there. Um, yeah, 
I would have to agree. All right, cool. Well, I just did a lot of talking. I'm going to leave an open-ended question out to you two to kick things off as we move forward in some of the key themes and takeaways saw from the book of Ezra as we move from one book of the Bible to a new book of the Bible. Uh, firstly, I guess um, just, just, just you recapping this entire book and, and what we covered in it makes me realize that we really covered quite a lot in uh, the book of Ezra. So um, I am not, not kind of kind of proud that we tackled that book and um, like we were able to cover so much. I think it's uh, these are very important books and crucial books in understanding the, the history of the nation of Israel and um, their advancement out of the Babylon exile, but still dealing with all these um, struggles on one hand while they go back to Jerusalem and try to rebuild it, but also these great blessings given to them by God uh, as they go back to Jerusalem and, and try to rebuild it as well. And I think that's the main theme or takeaway that, that I've gotten from the book of Ezra over the course of the, the four episodes that we have done on it is that there's a lot of mixed, it's a mixed bag. There's mixed, mixed signals. I think back to when early on and uh, under that, that task two that Justin, you, you recapped, uh, when they rebuilt the temple, but it wasn't quite restored to its full former glory. So some of the previous Israelites or some of the Israelites who had seen the previous temple started out like shouting or like groaning and crying. So you have these mixes of like praise and shouting and then groaning and crying. And that's just kind of the representation I think of, of Ezra as a whole, where there's so many good things, obviously you have God providing so much, um, and, and just his hand and protection over, over the Israelites, guiding them safely from Babylon to Jerusalem and then um, giving them the resources necessary to, to rebuild Jerusalem. And, and yeah, and then also um, working through people like Zerubbabel and, and Ezra uh, in helping the Israelites repent and return to their obedience, but also... Um, what they repented from the, the intermarrying and the, and, and the divorcing and the, um, the shouts of crying from the, uh, when the temple was rebuilt, like, um, like they didn't repent from that, but that's just another, another example of the, um, just like the bad or the, um, uh, the scars that come along with the book of Ezra. And I think that's, uh, a, a big key theme to take away. And that's, uh, a, representative of the old testament as a whole like god is providing he is there and then the people are um like oscillating back and forth from uh sinning against god or being and at the same time being unable to do things to the full extent that they can like fully rebuild the temple um and i think those are signs of uh why we end up needing jesus and ultimately i think a lot of um what humans are unable to accomplish in the book of ezra and uh the rest of the is accomplished by Jesus. And I think this, this book points to that. Uh, thank you. Can I get a, can I get the question again? Yeah. Just uh, wondering what some of your, your guys takeaways and key themes okay. were from Ezra. Mm, yeah. I think big takeaways and themes. One, God does not abandon his people. Two, um, God provides leaders for his people. Yeah. And three, which I think we'll also see in Nehemiah and which also is seen in Esther. Um, <clears throat> uh, God, I guess that's the same. It's the same as two. God, <laughs> God uses his people to save his people. Um, or God puts people in, in positions to save his people, mm -hmm. um, which is, yeah, kind of the same as two, but maybe a little bit different in, in the fact that, like, God raises up people to save his people. Ezra, we're going to see him do the same with Nehemiah. 
and uh, he just want he wants to be he wants to be with his people, and he has a great heart for them. Are the big yeah. big yeah. themes and takeaways? I think. Yeah, I I think it's cool. So there is a like a, a small difference between I think what you the second one you said and then what you said was pretty much the second kind of thing. Um, yeah, God raises up leaders. We saw Zerubbabel. We saw Ezra. We are going to see Nehemiah. Um, and at the same time, there's to lead his people. And at the same time, he uses people maybe who aren't even believers in him in order to accomplish his purposes and fulfill his promises. The Persian kings are the perfect example of that. Each and every one of them uh, he uses in order to accomplish his purpose. And you could say the same even for the kings of Babylon before that who conquered these, who conquered his people. Um, mm -hmm. May not have been what Israel wanted. He used people, almost what we would call circumstances, in order to make sure that things were as they should have been. Which is cool. Absolutely. It's, I think it's cool to see God's sovereignty in books like Ezra and Nehemiah um, and how, like, especially like when like the, the odds are all stacked against them. And it's hard to see God moving, but you read the whole book and you absolutely see God's fingerprints everywhere. Um, like that's, I think that that's why Esther is so, so cool. Um, and that's also like a very real way of how we experience things like as Christians in the world today of like, man, it's hard to see God right now, but I trust and have faith that he's here. And then you look back year, five years, 10 years down the line and you're like, Oh God was all over that situation. Yeah. Um, I, th I think it's a very real experience that a lot of people have. And it's cool that the Bible both shows us times when, like with David, well, David's actually a perfect example of both, of where God called David to do things, and he did them, and you see God working, and you hear the voice of God. But you also have David who's wandering in the wilderness, and he's like, I don't know where God is. Um, and he's, he's a good example of both. But, and then you also have, like, Moses and who is a little bit better example of God is just telling him to do things and he does them. Um, but yeah, I think, I think these books are, are a very real um, depiction of a lot of times how like, of like being called by God to do something, but not necessarily hearing his voice. Does that make sense? I, I guess they do hear his voice, but yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I thought, yeah, that's a pretty good overview of Ezra. A lot of those will continue in Nehemiah, so we'll see those. Um, before we get to Nehemiah, I do want to cover some leftover ground from last week because we got a, and a, hey, this is it. Uh, for all you listeners, please reach out to us because you might get brought up on a podcast episode, <laughs> which was like the, the biggest deal. Uh, in the world, it's a, it's what everyone wants. Um, <laughs> I can't I can't think of anything bigger. <laughs> without naming names, um, we got an email from a very loyal listener, um, who we have heard from before, and uh, we love these emails and we love talking back and forth with our listeners. But this one is especially informative, I think, on a couple points that we went through last week. So these two are are as follows: the first. We mentioned the prophecy of Jeremiah, especially as it relates kind of to being fruitful and multiplying last week. And we didn't dig into it a ton just because we didn't know much about it enough about last week. And one kind of, we answered the question, I think, but left some hesitations were, um, was a question involving the, the, the little great divorce that we talked about last week, where God's God, um, people to put away their pagan, their non-believing wives who they had married, who were not part of his specific people being God's nation, the nation of Israel. We talked about whether that was a racist kind of thing uh, or whether it was just religion-based. 
Um, and you know, we got, we got some answers, um, which I think are pretty interesting and relate those two things together, Jeremiah and the intermarriage. Um, I will briefly cover some of this and give you guys a, a moment to jump in as well if you want to add anything. Um, as it relates to Jeremiah, so Jeremiah, yes, was a prophet kind of a pre-Babylonian exile who looked forward, not looked like in an excited way, but looked forward in time to the Babylonian exile, the return of God's people after that. And we get into the taking of foreign wives here. So Jeremiah talks about this um, and he, he passes the message from God for his people to be fruitful and multiply. And the words of this email, um, telling Israel to be fruitful, multiply, because you're going to be there a while. Uh, so many Jews, because there are plenty there, work and live, uh, because it's going to be 70 years before you come back. And it had intended to happen. He wanted them to continue to live their lives in Babylon, because those the, the nation of Babylon who conquered these people have been and probably was their plan to wipe out an entire such as we see. Uh, you know, wiping out the nation of Israel would be a good thing for them. So that back. Um, so, and this relates to intermarriage because the, the goal here and the instruction is to be fruitful multiply among God's people. And this is a cool reason that I didn't even think about until I read this email. So God had promised that the Messiah, Jesus, would come from Judah the line of Judah, which were the people in exile in Babylon. Um, and even though Ruth entered into this occasion, um, he did not want this specific line to be corrupt, to be thrown off at all by anyone than people in the line of Judah, because again, this is a promise that God had made and a promise that he was going to keep no matter what. And this was one way to preserve that line preserve that Jesus still came from that line and preserve that the promise was fully fulfilled. So in a sense, and you know, I, I, I might agree with this. So it, a quote from the email. So it sort of was real. God was keeping Israel separate and keeping a community that would maintain their cultural identity until Jesus came, um, which I think is a cool way of looking at it. And it's, I don't think it's racist in the sense that we talk about racist today. Um, maybe there's a better racism for this situation. Um, it's not like, you know, racial, racial hatred of another group of people that is being put forth by God here. It's just, he had promised that Jesus would come from this line and he had to see that promise fulfilled. So when Jesus came, salvation was offered to everyone and it was not really necessary to provide this one and only path to Jesus. So the line had to remain pure. Um, and instead, Jesus became this opportunity for everyone to be saved, ultimately sacrificing himself. And now, obviously, you know, the Bible teaches you don't have to marry people of a specific race. Just marriage among Christians and Christians is how it is set up from there on. Um, I thought this was an excellent email and some points I had not thought of at all until I read it. Yeah, to to this listener who sent this email, thank you so much. It was um, it was extremely edifying to read, and it definitely um, I think it gave me and uh, obviously the rest of us um, increased knowledge and understanding of of some of the topics that we covered last week and some of the questions we tried to tackle. Um, and yeah, I think that is that is just a great explanation and, and shedding light on this further. Um, I think that it, <laughs> that, that all of that makes sense. And a couple of things I wanted to add to that is, um, like the, the mosaic law before Jesus came, um, and like fulfilled or abolished the mosaic law, um, so that we are no longer under that. Um, like the Mosaic Law, where it was a uh, set of set of laws, instructions to um, cleanse ourselves so that we could approach God, and 
um, if we recall in Ezra, like Ezra himself, it says he was a very skilled teacher in the, in the law of Moses. And, and so it makes sense that the decree to, um, for the, the Israelites who intermarried to divorce their wives, um, like comes from Ezra, who is skilled in the Mosaic law. And it's, it's a way to, um, like you said, Justin, it's not racist in the sense that we think of it today. It's more, uh, the word racist, I think, without the negative connotations to it, like racist, like focusing on a race, which here is the Jewish Jewish race, which the line of which through the line of Judah, Jesus can come from. And so I think, you know, this makes sense why intermarrying, why there was the decree to divorce those who those who inter divorce the wives of those who intermarried um, was yeah to keep that line clean so that the prophecy of Jesus coming from the line of Judah can be fulfilled. And um, it's a way to honor God's commands and, and approach him um, faithfully. Yeah. Thomas, anything you wanted to get in here with regards to finishing up what we talked about last week? <laughs> we may have lost Thomas. <laughs> Thomas is speechless. Sorry, I'm here. We've got him. Um, I, uh, <laughs> Thomas has I, been I, rendered speechless by this <laughs> <email>. <laughs> No, I turned my my um my microphone volume all the way down to avoid um some noise being made by me opening uh, my backpack. <laughs> um and so i i started talking and you guys couldn't hear me so i turned it back up and here i am <laughs> um but now i think you guys i think you guys cover the email very well i think this email uh was, was very well written um brought a lot of points that that we i guess we're a little confused on uh into the light and clarified that um and then just a lot yeah, a good a good fact check as we can't always do that in the middle of an episode. Um, but yeah, so I'd I would like to extend my thanks to the to the writer, and um, I think you guys covered everything very well. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank yes. you, email writer. And keep you them coming, you please. Are. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Let me get into Nehemiah while we have some time left on this episode. Before we read Nehemiah 1, I will give a real, really brief background. We know where we are because we talked at the beginning of this episode. Um, so the book of Nehemiah, interestingly enough, is written by Nehemiah, at least almost certainly. There's some who wrote it based on Nehemiah's writings, but even then the source material would have been Nehemiah himself who was writing. Um, originally in the Hebrew Bible, Nehemiah were one book. Now they're divided into two. Mm -hmm. I guess on the two different characters here. Uh, it's a shame Zerubbabel the... didn't get his own book. <laughs> yeah, I think Ezra. I think Ezra should have been called Zerubbabel still. Um, but Ezra has a snappier. Ezra has a little snappier ring to it, so it's an easy name for a book. Um, it, so Nehemiah will focus on the time period 458 BC to 420 BC, the reign of Artaxerxes in Persia. We will see Ezra up in this book. I'm guessing they were contemporaries and certainly knew each other to some extent uh, and both kind of served God and his people in similar ways. Because all again about the, uh, all about ways the importance of Jerusalem to God's people. Um, and we also will get values of things that we talked about in Ezra, you know, instances of strong leadership and ultimately of God providing for his people even more. Uh, we know that Jerusalem still needs to be fully, fully restored in terms of physical makeup and also in uh, the worship of God's people. And we will continue to see the uh, long running themes of God's people kind of slacking and not fully committing to him and God raising up a leader to lead them back. Uh, chapter the book of Nehemiah is not too long, 
and I'll ask you to let's have you split this up. So, um, Peter, would you like to take verses one through six, and Thomas then seven through eleven? Sure, indeed. All right. All right. Hear the word of the Lord, Nehemiah one. The words of Nehemiah, the son of. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you, before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, From there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. It's a cool ending. And there we are. Yeah. And that will set up <laughs> next week, I am sure. Um, what Nehemiah leads us off with a little teaser at the end of Nehemiah chapter one. <laughs> um, so here we have, we're introduced to Nehemiah, and then Nehemiah is going to pray for his people. After my Bible says, so Nehemiah prays for his people. Uh, so I, I enjoy these little chapters is when someone's praying in the Bible. Um, but for you guys, for kicking it off, whether it's from the prayer itself or from the little intro we get to Nehemiah here, um, what are some things that kind of stand out as we get rolling in this book? Um, I think first, I think Nehemiah's devotion and faith in God is quite evident. Um as one who, who invokes Moses in his in his his prayer, he obviously is familiar with Moses and the law and the scriptures, um, and, he, and he and he prays them. That's like half of his prayer is quoting God and talking to his people. Um, and I think that is that is incredibly important and good to know as we go in and, and watch Nehemiah go and and lead Israel. And then lastly, now I was cupbearer to the king. This goes along with kind of what I was saying. He is put in an, a position of extreme power, um, being cupbearer to the king, of being able to, to go to the king and ask for what he needs, which will be later in the book. I'm not going to spoil anything. <laughs> but um, that's an incredibly important part of this as well, of like his placement as somebody who, who, is, faith, who is faithful in the position of cupbearer. Hmm. Yeah, those are those are good points, Thomas. A couple a couple things that I noticed as well. In addition, um, one in verse four, there's sort of a repetition of things we've seen previously from Ezra, um, specifically from Ezra himself. Uh, it says, "As soon as I heard these words that the wall of Jerusalem was broken down and its gates are destroyed." Um, Nehemiah says, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So we see that when um, 
faced with these unfortunate realities, such as the gates being broken down and, or as we're returning to Jerusalem and seeing all the intermarrying, um, like there's weeping and mourning and, and fasting and then praying, which are things that Nehemiah and Ezra both do. And, uh, I think, um, that's, uh, obviously I think that's a good sign of where Nehemiah's heart is at. And as you were mentioning, Thomas, he has a big role as cupbearer to the King and he seems to, um, like God seems to be working in him to be a, a good leader to these people um, as Ezra was. And I think this prayer is, it's, it's very beautiful and it's spot on to a lot of things that gives adoration and, and admiration to, 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 to God and also the confession of sins and, um, and yeah, it references some, some previous uh, history of the kingdom of Israel mentioning Moses and I think it's uh, a, a really nice start to, to the book of Nehemiah and a good introduction to, to who he is and where things are contextually um, as we yeah, head from Ezra into this book. I love in the prayer um, when he, you guys both talked about him mentioning Moses. I love verses eight through nine, really into 10. Um, so this is a direct quote from the Mosaic Covenant, um, and it is from both Leviticus and Deuteronomy, from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 5. It's, it's very drawn from this, um, and in that we see God, Moses, kind of um, speaking with each other here. And a piece of the Mosaic Covenant here is that Moses almost foresees his captivity. And this, uh, what I read in my Bible is that maybe what's here in Deuteronomy is pointing to the Babylonian captivity, maybe some other time. Regardless, Nehemiah is now invoking it in relation to coming back from the Babylonian captivity. Um, but there we see cool verses in Deuteronomy 34 to 5 and repeated in Nehemiah, and are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven. From there, the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. And the Lord your God, you bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. I think it's just, and he will prosper more than your fathers. I think, I think that's so cool. Like scattered out to the farthest parts of the heavens, and God will bring them back. And we see that he has done that and will continue to do that. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, one thing. Uh, one thing to add on to that is that I, I just, I agree, Justin, that those verses are just, they're beautiful. Um, is specifically to these verses eight and nine is, is from a commentary. I'll just quote um, from Matthew Henry. He says, um, he had said indeed that if they broke covenant with him, um, God, um, he would scatter them among the nations and that threat and that threatening was fulfilled in their captivity at this time. Matthew Henry says, never was people so widely dispersed as Israel was at this time, um, though at first so closely incorporated. But he had said with all that if they turned to him, as now they began to do, having renounced idolatry and kept to the temple service, he would gather them again. Um, which I think is really beautiful. And it makes sense from what we've learned in Ezra, like they are probably very scattered from Babylon to Jerusalem and everywhere in between. Um, and as Nehemiah pleads for mercy here, and um, verse 9 says, Yeah, if you return to me and keep my commandments, um, I will make my name dwell there and gather them again, which I think is, is really beautiful. It's not saying that um, like the Israelites are going to be perfect, but they're returning to God, and um, it's just beautiful language, God saying that he would gather them again. Mm. Yeah, um, and, and Nehemiah kind of invoking this language of the covenant with Moses. Uh, I think this prayer is really cool because to me, this screams that this prayer, very purposeful and very thought out, very scripturally based. And I think it's a good lesson for us as we pray. So at the beginning of the prayer, um, I get, I don't know if this is the Hebrew language. I don't, uh, but, oh yeah. And so verse five, um, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe. So this is him addressing God. Um, 
and calling God these names. And he refers to God's covenant and mercy specifically. And then just later, he this covenant very specifically. So he has like a really specific purpose in this prayer. And uh, you're not saying we always need to have that when we pray, but if you do, this is a good way to do it. I think this is just a well-informed and on-point prayer that he has here, you know, invoking God's covenant and invoking the name of God that kind of goes along with that covenant. It's a, it's an interesting thing. Um, I also think it's a really good prayer of humility. Six, he says, both my father's house and I have sinned. So he's including himself in this sin. And humility is a big trait of a leader. And we will see really, really good traits of leadership throughout this book. Um, and Nehemiah is just a, a really good example of what we want to look for in there. Um, so a, a really fascinating prayer from a fascinating guy. Yeah, I'm excited, I think, excited to learn more. I think like um, along with that, um, Nehemiah has a, he's appealing to God's faithfulness as well and appealing to the co covenants. He's like, Lord, you have your covenants. Here is, here's what you said. Let it be true and let us return to you and, and bring us back in a sense as well. Because um, he's, he's praying this after he heard what's, what's happening to the Jew, Jews who survived the exile. He's like, Lord, we survived we're turning back to you. The time is now for you to fulfill your covenant. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I like that you mentioned the people who are back in Jerusalem because the, the big last thing I want to note here is the situation and the context that we're in. So they're back after we saw in the book of Ezra, back in Jerusalem, rebuilt, rebuilt the city, or at least a lot of the city. Uh, I think reading these first few verses of this chapter, Ezra kind of understated the, the like seriousness of, or the gravity of the situation issues that they were facing in Jerusalem. So they rebuilt these things, the, the wall of this is still down. And a couple notes here. So we know that in Ezra, the Persian kings provided the people returning to Jerusalem with funding, um, with things that we need for travel, with equipment and supplies. But we also see that really give like military protection they just kind of gave them this money and supplies and sent them over on their way um we know that the trek there was dangerous so there wasn't a ton of military aid and now jerusalem is left kind of vulnerable to that and the wall being down is an especially big deal i did a little bit of historical research here um i have an article from time.com that talks about the importance of walls in the ancient world. Um, Mesopotamian King Shulgi was the builder of the first known border wall, and he built it with the idea that his people could then rest peacefully inside, which was a huge deal back in the day because it was a very uh, boring, very dangerous time to be around because there was just a lot of battles and a lot of violence going on. Um, but when cities build walls, this calls it the civilian revolution. Um, it allowed that revolution to take place because inside the walls you were protected. You didn't have to worry about constant invasion. So the citizens in these cities could kind of put down their arms, stop worrying about being soldiers, and instead focus on being civilians and be farmers, bricklayers, weavers, merchants, scribes, and presumably for the people of Israel and Jerusalem, they then focus their attention on God rather than focus their attention on, you know, bearing arms and trying to protect the city. So if they had the wall built, they could fully focus on God. And we see in Nehemiah here, they do not have that wall built. I have something similar from National Geographic, um, which the an article titled Building Walls May Have Allowed Civilization to Flourish. Uh, it mentions Jericho, an important city. We know the importance of the walls in the city of Jericho, um, if you're familiar with that story in the Bible. Um, and this says that no invention in human history played a greater role than walls in creating and shaping civilization because it allowed people inside these cities to devote them to things other than war and training to be soldiers. And that would be a big deal for who wanted to 
turn to God and focus on God. If they had walls, they could have walls. It's hard to do that. So it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Peter? Um, I, don't, I don't have a ton to add on there, but I think that is very, very insightful and it, yeah, important stuff to talk about. Like you can see why uh, in verse three, Nehemiah says that they are in great trouble and shame. They, they're probably exposed right now and they can only focus on so much inwardly in Jerusalem without, without the walls there, with, that, with the walls broken down. And so it'll be interesting to follow that story arc as we continue our, um, our series and, and our look in, inside this book and see the kind of role that the wall plays in, in Nehemiah. I think that is, it's very important to establish the context and the importance of the wall and, um, and also the importance of the wall just in general to civilizations, especially ancient civilizations, and then um, specific to like Jerusalem and Israelites and, and God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think walls are, I mean, walls are your your basic defense, right? Like if you don't have walls, an army can just absolutely run through your house and like your your whole city and just destroy everything. Walls are like that, that like the basic defense that you need in order to be a city that can stand on its own and protect itself. And so Jerusalem not having walls is like, oh, literally anybody can just come and, and take. It's like low-hanging mm-hmm. fruit, you know? Um, and, and yeah, it's like that's why he's sad. Cause he's like, we've just finally come back from our exile, and now we are sitting ducks. And it's like, God, you said you were going to provide for your people. You said you were going to, to, you're going to bring us back when we turn back to you. Now is the time. Like we need, we need walls. We need protection. We need to come back to God. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's incredibly important in in that day and age. Yeah. 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 So as we leave off here at Nehemiah one, um, in Jerusalem, in a precarious position, um, and Nehemiah, and he has positioned God, um, to fully restore Jerusalem. Um, and we will see Nehemiah next embark on a journey to try and kind of pull all this off. And hopefully of Jerusalem will turn from sitting ducks into waddling ducks. And, then, and maybe even <laughs> flying ones. Yes, maybe. <laughs> soaring, soaring ducks. Um, before we finish up here, do either of you two want to add anything to what we've talked about so far? Hmm. Um, yeah, I got something to add. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Why? was (laughs) (laughs) you know what's coming all right i guess who was the shortest prophet the shortest prophet no nehi maya (laughs) (laughs) that's the best one that we had there we go it took us that's a that's a good one to close on. <laughs> it took us. It took us the whole episode to work up a good one. But thank you, Thomas. So I, I did get that one off the internet. <laughs> you should have just taken credit for it. Oh, yeah, I Come know. on, I, I, I can't take credit for not my own joke, but I did see it and it made me laugh. Uh, regardless of where you got it, that wasn't. That was a really good one, uh, and I think that's a good place to finish up. So sorry that today was. Uh, listening kind of a lot of book of Nehemiah, but we did get into some good substance in the first chapter, and there is a of good substance to follow in this book. One of my mm-hmm. books in the Bible, and excited to see where this goes. There's some cool moments, so stay tuned. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let me say a prayer, 
and uh, then I will be handing it off to Peter to tell us a little bit more about Let's our go. podcast. <laughs> Dear God, thank you for a great episode that we have here. I thank you for your faithfulness and your provision um, that we about and saw through the book of Ezra. And now that we are even starting to see in the book of Nehemiah, um, I thank you for the people that you raise up to fulfill your purposes um, for all of us here in this world and um, just the, the many, many ways in which you work for good in the lives of those who love you. I pray that we have all have a great week here and thank you again for the chance to get this podcast out. Amen. 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 All right, Peter, you're up. All right. So we would love for you listeners um, to reach out to us. As you saw today, we heard an awesome email this week uh, from one of you guys, and that really helped inform this episode and uh, increased our understanding of, of the Bible. And that's, that's the goal, to learn more about the Bible together. And so if you want to be a part of that, we want you to follow us on social media. Our Instagram is in the fire podcast uh follow us like our posts when they come up if you feel so compelled then uh we'll yeah we'll we'll post put up stories uh just uh um yeah just a shameless plug there we recommend you follow us that would be awesome and then email again if you want to um if you want to reach out to us that way and uh just write up something uh some comments some questions um recommendations whatever it may be uh please feel free to do that through our email it is three in the fire at gmail.com the number three the letters in the fire at gmail.com yeah there you have it we'd love to hear from you all righty well fellas thank you for a good episode listeners thank you for listening we will talk to you next time peace see you